Hey friends, thanks for listening to the Axiom Podcast. Um, We're a community centered around experiencing Jesus together and practicing His ways as a community. Uh, We like to say in Peoria as it is in heaven. Um, So this podcast is just space for discussion and exploring um, ideas and principles of the kingdom and also where we post uh, our sermons from Sunday gatherings. So um, please engage us online and uh, hope you enjoy this episode. If we haven't met, my name is Denise Dines, and my family and I have called Axiom Home since, I think, 2016, which sounds like a really long time ago, so I don't know if that's right. But anyway, sometimes I teach, and today would be one of those days. And this is our last week uh, in Eastertide. We have been following the liturgical calendar, and so Eastertide is the season on the church calendar that's from Easter to Pentecost, and this is the last week. And I've really enjoyed that. And what's kind of fun about this, about participating in the liturgical calendar and Eastertide, is that there are Christians all over the world today from multiple denominations that are all going to be meditating on the same passage of Scripture And I think that's just cool, you know? So that passage of scripture today is going to be John 17. So if you have your Bible, that would be a good time to pull it out, or if you prefer the Bible app on your phone. If you don't have that, uh, it's going to be on the screens. Don't sweat it. But we're going to be in John 17 today. But before we begin, I just want to take a pause of silence, and then I'll pray. So... God, I just invite your still waters in our spirits this morning. Think of how you calmed the storm with the disciples. And I remember reading this week that when waters are turbulent with waves and wind and you throw a pebble in, you don't see anything but the pebble drop in. But when the waters are still and you throw the pebble in, the ripples are seen that go out. And God, I'm asking just by a gift of your grace, just something that you gift us with, that you might still the waters of our inner selves so that if you want to drop a pebble in, we'd hear you. And I pray that 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 is the voice that would be heard today would be your voice, not mine that you would translate the message that I have according to the good work that you began a long time ago in all of our lives and in this community, and that that you would pick up the message that you have according to the work that you're doing and that you would get the glory. And we just thank you that you're with us, that you're with us in this space, and you're not silent. You're interacting, and, and we just affirm that. Amen. All right, well, I'm just going to read the passage. We're not going to do all John 17. It's just through verse 11 today, but I want to give a little context. So um, what's happening here is this is right before Jesus goes to the cross, and he's been um, having this really special time with the disciples. He washed their feet. This is also when he said to Peter, hey, buddy, you're actually going to betray me, you know, and then he does all this teaching, this rich, rich teaching. And it makes me think of like when someone is at the end of their life and they know I need to say what I need to say now. 
I need to make sure I'm not leaving the important things left unsaid. And this is this teaching in this section of John. And then after that teaching, he moves into a place of prayer. And Jesus and the Father had a really intimate relationship. And he was always going off. We will see him if you look through the Gospels. Jesus would go off and pray and be alone with the Father. And there are also times where those prayers are recorded. Well, this is one of the long ones. And it's rather intimate because it's he knows what's coming after this is, is the cross. So that's, you're caught up to speed. That's where we are. So uh, chapter 17, verse 1. After Jesus said this, he looked to heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours. All you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. The word of the Lord. So this morning, we're going to um, go on three different focuses here. Okay, we're going to focus on a repeated word that Jesus keeps repeating over and over again, because if he's repeating something, I think, you know, pay attention. Uh, the other is, I think there's like a pickle in this passage, and I want to address it, like a sticky situation, and I want us to go there. And then finally, I want us to camp in eternal life, because... <laughs> We're Christians, and that's our shtick. We love eternal life, and so we definitely are going to go there at the, end of this, at the end of this. But let's start with that repeated word. Here, you can hear it right here. I'm just going to read uh, the first few verses again. Um, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people. He might give eternal life to those you've given him. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. I've brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. That's five times in five verses that he's repeated the word glory and glorify. So it must matter to him if he's repeating it. Now, that's a word that I feel like is pretty churchy. You don't really hear glory much outside of church. You think of like maybe fame and glory, which just makes me think of Nacho Libre when he was like, don't you want a little taste of the glory? And that's like, okay, does that give a clue on what this means, right? Because it sounds like fame and glory in the Nacho Libre sense. But then the nature of fame is that, you know, everybody already knows you. That's what fame is. So that doesn't explain glorify, you know? So it, it, fame is in there, but I don't think it really captures it. 
Now, the, the Greek for this, if you look into that, it kind of gives this picture of, of glory is dignity and majesty all rolled into one, being manifested in such a way that you see it and, and have a sense of awe. And so for our purposes, I'm just going to say that let's say instead of glory, let's say wow, wow. And then glorify, to glorify is to unveil the wow. The wow was behind the curtain, and now it's not anymore. So let's just look at those, those verses again and see. That sounds like this now. Father, the hour has come. Unveil the wow of your son, that your son may unveil the wow of you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give you eternal life to all those you've given him. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. I have brought you wow on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, unveil the wow in me, in your presence, with the glory I had with you. I'm sorry, with the wow I had with you before the world began. So there's a lot of wow going on when it comes to God and, and his final prayer. This is a big prayer that he's having, that the wow would be like prevalent, that it would be seen. So here's some things to notice. Um, I think the first is there's some generous sharing of wow going on. Right in that first section, Father, the hour has come, glorify your son so that your son may glorify you. There's like, here, no, you have the glory. No, 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 you have the glory. You have the glory. And there's just this intimate sharing of glory where it finally comes down to you can't see one without the other. You can't see Jesus without seeing the glory of the Father. You can't see the Father without seeing the glory of Jesus. They, they are, and this, to me, speaks about their relationship. They are a sharing, generous, intimate relationship there in the Trinity, and they're sharing that glory. The other thing to take note of is who is unveiling this glory? Who's unveiling the wow? Well, the scripture tells us here that Christ unveils the wow of God the Father in his work. He was given work to do here on earth. Well, what was his work? He did a few things. He, he would teach, right? And, and it's true. If you read the Gospels, when Jesus was teaching, People were wowed. They were wowed. Sometimes they were wowed so much they were angry. But most of the time, you would hear like there's murmurings as you're reading the gospel. They're like, oh, wow. He just teaches with his authority. Who is this guy? The other work that he did, he did a lot of miracles. And miracles makes me kind of think of magic, you know, something extraordinary is happening. And that, is a, that has a wow factor. But Jesus didn't come and pull rabbits out of hats. That would have only revealed wow, but it wouldn't have revealed God. All of Jesus' miracles were rooted in someone's need and the compassion that he has for it. So in his miracles, he made blind people see. He fed hungry multitudes. You know, he, he healed people who were hurting. And, and these were the miracles that came out of his work. So it unveiled the wow specifically of God that is a God full of compassion and deeply aware of the suffering and the needs of, of mankind. And then the other thing, though, is it was... Oh, I'm sorry. I skipped something really important. Oh, my gosh, the most important work of Christ ever, right? What's happening after this prayer? The cross. <laughs> <laughs> the work of the cross. He's going to go give his life as a total sacrifice and then rise from the grave. So he unveils the glory of God in that final act. But the other thing 
is, is that who he is unveils the wow of God. In Colossians 1.15, it says that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. So just Jesus being himself, walking around, doing his thing, is unveiling the wow of God. But it wasn't just Christ that's doing this unveiling of wow. Okay? In one of the later verses here that we read, let me find it. In verse 10, it says, Glory has come to me through them. Jesus is saying glory comes to Jesus through the disciples. The disciples unveil the wow of Christ, which is just amazing because you think, well, the disciples are just like, you know, they're like us. They're like ordinary people. (laughs) You know what I mean? But no, they unveil the wow of Christ. And when the wow of Christ is unveiled, what do you see? You see the wow of God because of that intimate sharing that's going on. So he repeats this over and over again in his prayer in this final hour. It matters to him, so it matters to us. And if, if you are interested in tapping into this wow of God, pay attention to Jesus because he unveils it. The poet Mary Oliver says, attention is the beginning of devotion. Pay attention to Jesus. But I want to move into the pickle in the passage. Okay, and so, like a sticky situation, you know? So it's in verse 2. Verse 2 says, For you granted him authority over all people, so that he might give eternal life to those you have given him. And then again in verse 6. I have revealed you to those you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they obeyed your word. And then again in verse 9, I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. Do you hear the pickle I'm talking about here? There's this, it sounds like God plays favorites a little bit. This idea that there's a distinction between all people, the world, and then those you've given me, and those you've given me, I'm giving eternal life to. It it almost makes it seem like there was this heavenly conference before Jesus went down as the incarnation where God and Jesus were like, he was like, okay, so when you get down there, you can make it sound like eternal life is for everyone, but you and I really know it's just for the ones we like. And the rest can go down with the ship. It's easy to read these verses and, and hear that. And, it, and that was an icky joke that I said. It made me feel icky because I think it's so, so far, far removed from the heart of God. But I really think it's worth saying because any one of us may have read that and noticed that. And the eyebrow goes up. And so if you're reading this and your eyebrow went up, or if you're reading anything ever, anywhere in Scripture, and your eyebrow goes up, don't feel shame about that. Instead, consider that a gift from God, because that raised eyebrow, I feel like, is God's invitation that when you get to something in Scripture and you're like, uh, I don't know about this, I feel like Jesus is there saying, oh, bring it to me, bring it to me. Let's do this together. Let's look at this together. That's an intimate opportunity to connect with God when your eyebrow grows up. So anyway, that's why we're here. That's why we're looking at this. So I'm going to read verse 2 again so we can figure out if he plays favorites. It says, you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to those you have given him. So let's start with the word authority. 
God the Father gave Jesus authority over all people. The authority was translated from the Greek. Uh, this was written sometime after the fact. But it's very likely that when it was actually happening and Jesus was with his disciples, he was probably speaking Aramaic. And the word there for authority in Aramaic is translated as responsibility. And I love that. I think it's really helpful in understanding what that means. It is authority, but it's responsibility. And so I get this picture in my mind with that if there's a heavenly conference, you know, before the incarnation, that instead it might have been something like this, that God the Father was saying, Jesus, you and I are one. We are one. I know that the world was created through you, that, that we have all the same attributes, that we have the same values, we have the same vision, we have the same love for mankind, all of mankind, and we have uh, the same you know, mission. And because of that, you go and you do the work I sent you to do, and I trust you. I trust you. I'm giving you authority. I'm giving you that responsibility. You're going to do it your way because you're a different person. You're Jesus. I'm God the Father. You do it Jesus style. <laughs> but I trust you because I know that we share the same love, the same mission. And here was the mission and the work that Jesus came to do. You see, in Genesis 3, when the fall of man happened, what happened was there was a dismembering, a spiritual dismembering. We're all made in the image of God. But after the fall, it's like we forgot. We forgot who we really are. We forgot what it means to be human. To be human is to be really essentially living in relationship with God in the garden, naked and unashamed. But we forgot. There was a dismembering, a spiritual dismembering. The work that Jesus came in to do was a work of remembering mankind in his teaching and just the way that he was, in his miracles, his work on the cross, his resurrection, was a work of remembering. And that remembering is available for all people. All, all, all people. But then what about the second part of that verse that says, eternal life to all those you have given? So God giving him. So Brianna Calero is in this church, and I don't know if she's here now. Oh, there she is. Hi. I like Brianna. And um, she said, like, months ago, something that just always stuck with me, uh, that hunger is the currency of the kingdom. And it kind of speaks to the Beatitudes. Blessed are the hungry, blessed are the poor, this idea. Now, I love that statement, and I think it's because hunger, hunger is a feeling, it is an experience. You feel hungry. When you feel hungry, the cue is find food. Hunger, that feeling can be suppressed. There's some medications, it's a side effect. You know, it suppresses your appetite. You have to look at the clock to know that it's time to eat because you're not feeling hungry. Okay? Some people intentionally suppress that because, you know, for various reasons, but they suppress that feeling. And then as a result, they don't eat. And then what happens if you don't eat? Your body shuts down, leading to death. Okay, now I am not suggesting that starvation is anything good. That's a horrible thing. But hunger, just the feeling of hunger, that's a gift. Because it's a cue that it's time to eat. And so that's what I think of. I think of, of Jesus in the incarnation. Okay, so he's on earth. And I picture God sort of looking down 
And Jesus, his dust, you know, he's walking in the dust of Palestine in this certain time, certain place. And God the Father is looking at all the other people who their feet are in the same dust, in the same time, in the same place. And, and of those people, I feel like God sees, oh, this guy is so hungry and he is looking for food. Nudge, nudge, nudge. <laughs> Look at this person who's so thirsty and ready to drink. Look, look at this person who's so oppressed and they're looking to be liberated. Someone who's so sick and they're looking everywhere for a physician. These are the people that I believe God gave to Jesus. The ones who were ready to receive what he had. They were not more loved by God, more special in any way. They were just ready. And Jesus tells a parable about this earlier, about different kinds of soil when seed is scattered and, and how because of the quality of the soil, the seed responds in different ways. There are some types of soil that when the seed is placed in that soil, the soil takes it in, keeps it, and establishes deep roots. And these were the people that Jesus, I mean, that God the Father brought to Jesus, the people who were ready to receive the message. But you might get to verse 9 and think, okay, that sounds really nice and sweet and fluffy, Denise, but then he says in verse 9, let me see if I can find it, I pray for them, I'm not praying for the world, but for those you've given me. And then it sounds like, yeah, okay, does he really not play favorites here? Because here he says, I'm praying for them, not praying for the world. Well, that's because we're only going to verse 11. If, if we were doing all of, of 17, chapter 17, you would see in verse 23. Verse 23 says, um, Then, let's see, I and them and you and me, so that they, the disciples, may be brought to complete unity, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. See, he was praying specifically for this group of people. He loved them. He spent all this time with them. But when his prayer for those disciples is answered, well, then it blesses the whole world. And he also loves the whole world. And here we are thousands of years later on the other side of the globe, and we're reading these words and believing in Jesus. That's the work of this answered prayer. Remember, the disciples unveil the wow of Christ. Glory be to God, because here we are today. It's a miracle. So it wasn't about favoritism. God loves everyone, but he was giving to those who are ready. And, and I think another gift in that is to know that I think he's still doing that today. In fact, I know that he is. I know that, that God, Jesus, the Spirit, they see all of us on earth, and they're saying, oh, look at her. She's so hungry. Nudge, nudge, nudge. Look at this person who's so sick. Nudge, nudge, nudge. They're ready to encounter Jesus. And, and that work is continuing today. So that's, so that's good news, and I hope that helps a little. But again, if your eyebrows raise, take it to Jesus, because he's the best. <laughs> but I want to move into eternal life, because if you have one takeaway from this passage, please let it be verse 3. We talk about eternal life all the time as Christians. It's like our thing. And here, Jesus himself gives a definition that is just brief and clear. Here it is, verse 3. Now, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's eternal life. 
knowing God and Jesus. In fact, I think this is so important that, um, can we pull it up on the screen again, verse 3? I want to have us just all read it together out loud because when we say something out loud, this part of our brain hears it, even if this part of our brain isn't really paying attention. And like this part of the brain is a lot more responsible for what the rest of the body does. And so it's really important sometimes to say true things out loud with your mouth. So let's all together just read verse three. Are you ready? Okay. Now this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Okay, that word to know. I checked my phone today on the weather app, and I know that there's no rain in the forecast. I also know my mom. Are those the same thing? But in English, we just use the one verb. Other languages don't do that. I know we have a lot of Spanish speakers in the room. I remember learning Spanish, and there was conocer, and there was saber, and they both mean to know, but they're not interchangeable. And, and Greek was the same way. In this case, to know God and Jesus Christ is an experiential, relational knowing. And not only that, the way that it's used, the tense in the grammar, it is an ongoing knowing. It's a knowing that starts now, and you just keep knowing and knowing and knowing and knowing and knowing forever and ever. So eternal life is this, an ongoing, unfolding, forever and ever and ever, experiential, relational knowing of God and Jesus Christ, the ones with the wow with the wow, and that's eternal life. And that's why here at Axiom, you probably have heard us say before, eternal life doesn't begin when you die. Are we saying eternal life isn't there when you die? No, eternal life is there when you die. But eternal life begins now, knowing Jesus and God now as he unveils that wow. So you might be thinking, that's nice. Um, I believe in God, but I'm not experiencing God. Well, I, I heard a story this week, um, an interview of our Surgeon General. His name is Vivek Murthy. And he was our 19th Surgeon General, and then somebody else. And then he's, again, now our 21st Surgeon General. So he had a gap in between. And he said in the interview that when he was the 19th Surgeon General, he thought, man, this is you know, a real honor to be this kind of public servant. If I'm going to do this job right, I've got to give 100%. And so he did. And as a result, he neglected all his friends. <laughs> and they had just one by one kind of dropped off by the wayside. And even his family, when he was home, he said he wasn't present with them. He was checking his phone, checking his inbox, because he had to give the job 100%. And then he wasn't Surgeon General anymore. And he was in the wasteland of his life with no friends, feeling very, very lonely and ashamed. And during this difficult season, he went out to lunch with somebody, and, and the person said, you know, Vivek, uh, the problem is not that you don't have friends. The problem is that you are not experiencing friendship. I bet if you picked up the phone, and called any one of those friends that you dropped the ball with that they would be happy to get back together with you and pick up that relationship again because you are not the only one who longs for intimate relationship. They do too. But you have to get over yourself. 
You have to get over your shame and your fear, and you have to reach out. And so he did. And it obviously made an impression on him because he's been sharing that story repeatedly because he's, he's all about our epidemic of loneliness right now in the country. And I thought that was really wise advice that he received. And I think it's helpful in this context, the idea that we know God, we have God, we have Jesus, but how do you, what do you do with that? And, and I would suggest part of it, a start, is for us to get over ourselves a little bit, to get over fear, to get over shame, whatever it might be, and to reach out to him. And there are a lot of ways to do that. And Jesus is experienced in community. And so I would encourage you, if there's anything stirring there, the slightest desire to, to either begin that eternal life or, or to grow deeper in it, to reach out to somebody there are a lot of us here who would love to chat and to listen. We have a prayer corner in the back after service where we have people available to pray with you. We have community groups. You could just take somebody out to coffee. I just encourage you to, to, be, to be brave and talk about it because we, we work out this relationship and community. But, but this is what it's about, man. Eternal life is knowing God and Jesus Christ, his son, and he made that abundantly available right now. So, God, I just thank you. Thank you that you love us this much. I can't even, I can't even wrap my mind around it. Um, everything you do for us, you, you never lose sight of us. We're never lost. You see us when we have longings, when we're whatever we need. We're in your sight, and you don't let us go. And then you send Jesus, Lord, and the work that Jesus did, God, that, that we could have relationship with you through him is just incredible. Would you bring us, each of us, in our own unique ways into relationship with this God who loves every one of us without exception? And I just, I thank you. I thank you for who you are and, and for showing off the way that you do. Amen. Amen. We invite you now to stand with us.